Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design, and I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, most of you would have heard of uh, Kirsten Thompson, uh, director of Kirsten Thompson Architects. Uh, she's been working away <laughs> so seriously since the early 90s and picked up the gold medal for, um, for her body of work. That was last year. Actually, it was the... Uh, Victoria Medal for Broadmeadows Town Hall, but was, we'd love the gold I medal you one won day. A gold medal. No, not yet. Oh. Well, well, fingers crossed, one day maybe it might next happen. Year they'll they'll yeah, yeah, just, they'll look, award yeah. you with this gold medal. Thank you but, for your confidence. Um, yeah. uh, Kirsten, look, you really have produced very solid work over nearly thirty years. Uh, mm. Quite extraordinary, and but you started first thing I should say that you. You studied at RMIT, you're very well connected to RMIT, mm. graduated, taught for a number of years. That's right. Bachelor's here, then Master's, and taught for about five years full-time, 90 to 94, and then after that, on and off studios and lectures and things over the years. And you, well, you started your practice really at the worst possible time. The early 90s was just dreadful. Many, many architects were driving taxis. That's correct. And so why did you think that was a good time to start a practice? That's a really good question. Um, I remember I was, I'd started teaching here and I had a couple of projects on the side, which I did parallel to teaching. And then it was at the end of, uh, I think it was 94, when I officially went and stopped full-time teaching here and moved into establishing KTA. So why then? Look, I think when there was only one of you, you didn't need very much to be able to practice per se. Um, so yes, it was better. But the early 90s was partly why uh, some people had moved into teaching. I was doing it because I was also interested in teaching. It was a great way to get clear about your ideas and your thinking and the sort of um, exchange of ideas that come from students. Now, Kirsten, your first, one of your first homes in Lawn, mm. on the Great Ocean mm. Road, that would have been one of the earliest That's right. designs, yes. and that picked up a major award at the time. Yeah, it, an it got award. it got a. I think it was shortlisted that time, and I think it got a chaser referee design, which was part of the um, awards program that came out of actually um, higher education areas where you had academics um, and teachers doing research through their professional practice as well. So, yeah. Um, Kirsten, I mean, one of the main reasons is that you've just released a book, Kirsten Thompson Architects, Encompassing People and Place. Mm. And it's um, uh, there are essays by um, Professor Leon Van Schaik, mm -hmm. and it's a... Um, it's kind of a publication between RMIT and Thames and Hudson. Mm. Why a book now? I mm. mean, when you look through the book and you've yeah. a number of really key projects, why did you feel it was a good time to release a book? Mm. Um, well, it was in part because RMIT did approach us to do this and it's, it was a fantastic opportunity, so mad not to. I think with a book there is always that worry now's not the right time and you're always aware of projects which are 
in transit or pending completion, you think, oh, if only we had that one finished, that's when we'll do a book. So in some ways, there's never a perfect time for a book. But I did feel that uh, because it was RMIT with Thames and Hudson, that was an amazing opportunity. And also that I did feel comfortable. There was enough in our 25 years plus of work, um, the breadth to make it probably worthwhile and something that people would hopefully want to read. Well, I think they certainly want to read it. And look, the the contents are very broad. Mm. I mean, it's not um, it's not just domestic work. Mm. You've got um, uh, little bar projects um, mm. I've written on um, mm. in the past. I mean, quite simple things like there was a bar in the city. Yeah. It almost looks like scaffolding just put yes. together. Yeah. And people who like refined architecture would say, look, it's not complete. Mm, but that mm, was complete. Mm. You know, that was a, a lovely project. Yeah. Uh, which you collaborated on with another architect. That's right. Know. That was with Figure Ground. Uh, and I think you're talking about Sunda, Sunda Restaurant. Beautiful food, by the way. Um, yes, look, and the breadth of the project was really important to us in in talking with Thames and Hudson and RMIT about the book uh, because... You know, we all know that um, books of architecture, especially residential architecture, is probably a no-brainer in terms of sales. And we felt that whilst we had a collection of houses of merit, it's also important for us about the cross-pollinisation, if you like, between house projects and other types of projects, which can be, yes, police stations, schools, whatever. So we were very glad that um, it was possible through the monograph to show how the sort of thinking we bring to projects could work across different scales of work and also different kinds of projects. Projects. I mean, what's interesting about this book is uh, showing people that architecture can be applied to very mm. basic buildings. I mean, mm. there's um, some toilet blocks. That's right. That won an award, um, beautifully framed with this translucent ribbed glass or translucent, yeah, I don't know if it's ribbed. Yeah, that's right. But, um, you know, very simple. And mm. another architectural practice, or even if it wasn't an architect, mm. look, it's just toilets. Does it really mm. matter? <laughs> and what's your response? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, of course, it matters and every building should be a good building. Um, that doesn't mean they have to all be expensive, but I think every space that is used by humans and even non-humans, you know, it needs to be considered. And uh, especially if things are going to be around for a while, they may as well be as good as they can be. And that's, again, why we think I've always had a slight toilet obsession. Um, toilets are important spaces, especially public toilets, because people use them for yes going to the toilet but also their um you know their, their sense of safety their sense of comfort they're also quite social spaces sometimes I know as a, as a woman people flee to toilets if they need to just get some time out or whatever so I can't you can't underestimate how important those day-to-day -day buildings are and it's the same with schools something of great interest to us are the sorts of repeat type projects um, where there's a lot of them like schools um, same with little civic projects like um, say police stations and things like that there's always multiples of them they're not just a one-off so you may as well think about them because there'll be a lot of them and 
if you roll out something not very good, you do that many times, that's not so good for the so world. So with those award-winning toilets, mm. are they going to appear somewhere else or is it just you wouldn't repeat something? I mean, you're... That's Well, interestingly, that particular design is something you could easily replicate in another situation. They were done for Vic Roads, our main roads authority, and um, for a sort of highway rest stop. There's, and they are designed as a system, so you could actually apply them on different sites. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, look, I think I'm really interested in uh, the project, the Broadmeadows uh, development, mm. which won uh, top accolades. That's right. Uh, that did get the medal. It got the Victorian that, that, medal. It got the Victorian That's medal. The yeah. And an interesting one because, again, it's a beautiful building, very. Um, but originally it was kind of uh, a lot of people in that area just said, I'll oh, pull it down. It's mm. just this old thing from the early 60s. Mm. You know, we're kind of embarrassed by it. Mm. And, you know, to take someone like you to win a major medal on something mm. so rudimentary that you go, well, actually, no. And you kind of, mm. when I interviewed you years ago, or not so long ago, about yeah. the history, yeah. it's fascinating. Yeah, and absolutely. And you seem to really be drawn into that history before you start a project. Mm. Look, I think uh, it's really interesting the reuse of existing buildings is becoming increasingly important and I think that's for lots of reasons. One is, of course, it's more resourceful. It's, you know, it is wasteful pulling down a building mm. that you could reuse um, and we would like to think that for any project, if there is an existing building, you might first ask, can we adapt this to get the right fit mm -hmm. for new uses. Uh, sometimes that's hard to do and you might need to rebuild. But certainly in the case there, it was important because it was, um, aside from the fact that it was a pretty solid and handsome and substantial brick building. Was and it I thought design? It because was, yes. Foster and Welsh, I think. Um, so it was quite, you know, it had... It had a prop. It had one good face, if you like, and then a couple of slightly dubious backsides and things to it. But the bones of it were really good and really substantial. And I did think at the time, if we were to replace this, you'd be lucky to get a colourbond shed. Why would you get rid of beautiful brick walls like this? Very civic, real grandeur, suburban civic grandeur. I sometimes call it. But the other point is that it also held a lot of uh, cultural memory for that community over many decades and again in losing the building you're potentially losing the building or the physical space as a link mm. to cultural memories which were really varied whether it was local sports groups with the basketball or tango classes or debutantes or immunization citizenship ceremonies there's so many things that the hall's been put to work to and has ended up in photographs of people there you know and that's a real link to that physical space because architecture so. is about memory absolutely and a lot of people who come along say well it's not about the past it's what i want to do mm. and i want to make a statement but mm. you have made a statement without making a statement mm. in a sense yeah i think that's right i think you can you can do both and i think for a while there in a lot of architecture talked about it's either black or white or it's old or new and actually you can have both and I've always been interested in the both the possibility of that so with Broadmeadows we could see that it needed to change because it was uh, on the verge of being obsolescent for that community um, it was sort of too big for most of their civic events and but it wasn't multi-purpose enough to facilitate new activities like a business hub and so on so 
it needed to change, but you didn't need to throw it all away. You could still keep enough to be a memory trigger, if you like, for people there. And, and what's so interesting, and I'd probably apply this to the um, 1960s or 70s, late 60s, early 70s, uh, walk-up flats mm. in Fitzroy. Mm. Again, there's that lovely crafting of mm. the periods mm. and there are elements in both that you're really not sure if it's new or if it's old yeah. or where it, when it came in. I mean, in yeah. the apartments in Fitzroy, you've got a set of stairs towards mm. the rear that really look like they've always been there. Mm. And it was only afterwards I learned that you actually mm. made that insertion yeah. to read as the original. Yeah, I think that's right because, you know, going back to that comment that talking about architecture in either or, I don't think you need to do that. And so it's similar with heritage discussions. For a while there, uh, when I first started practising, you either imitated the heritage or you did a juxtaposition of something completely different. Sometimes either of those could be reasonable, but you can also do something in the middle which is uh, quite subtle and you think, oh, is that part of the original or not? And that speculation or questioning is part of what's compelling sometimes as a as a change to make. Um, the other thing is I know, you know, people are obsessed by houses at the moment mm. and um, <laughs> I think I remember well, being one... Being trapped in them makes one obsessed <laughs> with one's home, doesn't it? Yeah. Yes, but I think, you know... I, I remember you making the comment where you were trying to convince a client not to have such a big house mm. that, you know, look, most architects would say, oh, look, you know, it's more money, you know, the, the budget will be better, we'll get, you know, better fees out of it. But, you know, you've actually advocated, said, look, you don't need all that. Mm. You actually need, you know, half or you, mm. why you, you don't really need that. Mm. That's quite rare as well mm. in the industry, which is really... Uh, I mean, the media now is looking for big and showy, but that's not yeah. really you. I think it's just, um, it's it's a, it's really asking the question so that when you're designing something, I, you know, sometimes I talk about houses being flabby, where not every part of them is working as hard as it might. And so I sometimes think about houses where it's almost as if they have a spare limb, you know, a spare arm or something is never going to be used. So mm. why have it? So I think it's there's something lovely about a house in terms of it feeling alive or properly inhabited if every space is connected to everyday use somehow you know so, even if it's a room you don't necessarily go into but from one room you can see into it so there's no kind of lost lost ends to it so um, you use the entire place yeah that's right i think it's nice if you can drag your everyday life through all parts of a house it doesn't have a dead zone um the other thing is kirsten even though you know obviously you're the way you've approached architecture mm. has morphed and changed over the decades but I still think there's a clear reading, mm. even back to that lawn house in the mm. 90s, mm. of who you are. Mm. You don't really, you know, which is great because mm. you don't, you know, it's something that is a classic. It, mm. it, it's of its time, but it actually, mm. it, it, it's not faddish. Mm. And I think, are we too obsessed with looks at the moment? Oh, and... Absolutely. Uh, I think something that shocks me is how often people say things to that about our work like oh gosh 20 years old it's still quite good and it's like well 20 years is nothing in the scheme of some buildings and it shouldn't be much it, it you know really ideally we should be designing for longevity 
I think. And so 20 years, it's it's a baby still. And I would like to think that our buildings would still be valued and um, and wanting to be continue to be used for much longer than that you know I think of a lot of brick buildings in our heritage which can be 150 years old easily you know the warehouse where I live that's that's an old building shell very adaptable it's done a multitude of things over its time from stables to a billiards factory to a to a house but a camera studio um, I think that's really a, t- a terrific legacy where you can leave something that you could do that with similarly with our houses uh, yes I think it's even though I think our, we don't really have a house style per se there is perhaps a clarity uh, and a kind of um, getting the bones right that is consistent across our work and which- I mean, look, as the title says, encompassing people and place. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking of this wonderful, the drum warehouse Mm. in Fitzroy Mm. that I visited uh, recently, you know, 20 years. And everyone who came with me on that occasion just Mm. said, I can't believe it's 20 years old. Mm. But what was lovely is because the architect is so strong and that won an award too. Yeah. it really could handle some really adventurous artwork. Yeah, that's Some old worn furniture. It wasn't precious, mm. and yet it was just right. It mm. felt like the owners enjoyed the space, which mm. they love. Mm. You know, why is it that people have to feel as if they have to fill something mm. with all new just because they make a move? It's an obsession yeah. with yeah. this culture. I think sometimes people would like the architecture to do all the work for them in terms of living, and I, and I know some architects are quite happy doing that, and by that I mean that... Uh, you know, the architect would design the building plus everything that goes in it or if they don't design it, they would specify what it should be, what the furniture should be, how you should organise it in the space. I have to say we quite like to just hand over the, the shell, you know, the building. And and as some people have said, you know, when you first see our buildings finished, they can feel a little bit lean, but that's because I'm expecting them to be filled with as much stuff as people want to put in them. And so you don't need the architecture to do all the work for you, if you like. That's where people bring themselves, their lives, their stuff. The other thing that is refreshing with practices such as yours is that when people do fill your wonderful spaces with Pretty average furniture could be archaic. I shouldn't mm. say. Oh, sorry, we'll <laughs> cut that one out. With um, knock-up furniture, it could be anything. A- anything. Yeah. You know, a lot of architects or many would yeah. say, "Oh my God, don't look at this, yeah. Stephen. Just turn away." Yeah. But I remember. I think it was a studio at um, which I thought was wonderful at the. Um, College of the Arts, mm-hmm. VCA, VCA, yeah. and the stables had the been School converted. Of School of Arts mm. and the. Um, stables that the horses used to be in you know they're all individually uh, decorated Mm. by the artists so some were very minimal Mm. and austere Mm. and very organized and others were over the top you know juju and um, you know very uh, Mm. glitzy and you kind of had a smile about that I thought it was just absolutely beautiful it's exactly what architecture is about and it's, you know, handing it over and letting others do what they want with it. And I like how surprised we are sometimes by what people do. And I think, yes, the stables are the perfect example of that because you can give the same cube of space, white cube of space to 10 people and they'll all do something entirely different with it. And that's where 
it's always an interaction between people, their things, their practices and the space that's what makes for a good piece of architecture. Um, Kirsten, what are the projects you're working on at the moment that you're really excited about that I'm going to be looking forward to? Yeah. Looking at in the future, in the near future. Well, we've got quite a bit under construction at the moment and they're pretty different and all exciting in different ways. So I think you're aware of the project in Queen Street, Queen and Collins, for the GPT group, which is a major refurbishment, really, of the old ANZ tower and bank buildings, a number of heritage buildings. And that's really about returning that half a city block back to the city in a way, making it a series of lanes and networks and so forth, different retail and so on. So that's that's a big um, a big transformative project yeah. for the city and including that beautiful cathedral room space, which sadly has been very underutilised for a long time. So we'll be keen so to see that. that going to be well, that's going to be now a um, as an area for food and beverage. So uh, it's a good operator's... So, I think, going to lease that. So it'll be just great to see people in it and for it to be full of life again because it's been a bit empty for too long. Then another project under construction locally is in Elstonwick, the Jewish Holocaust Centre. So that's about halfway there and that's a pretty major development of the centre which has been there since the late 80s. But obviously they needed to grow so it's a very major project there to incorporate a bit of an old building and a whole lot of new building for education, museum and uh, administration and events spaces. Um, and then the other one is the Riversdale project for the Bundanon Trust up in New South Wales, just outside of, well, in the Shoalhaven area. And that's including a... Um, it's got two parts. It has a, a gallery, which is to house and a collection store for Boyd's amazing collection. It's about a $40 million art collection up there of Boyd and his contemporaries, Arthur Boyd. And then also a large a bridge, actually, going across a gully, which is where we're putting uh, some new accommodation for artists, school groups and so on. So it has an education component and art. It's about art and environment. So they're all really exciting projects in really different ways. Do you take on any projects that kind of look underwhelming to start with and you, or do you think, look, I can see something positive? I think <laughs> or is it just the client? Like in the case of these yeah. utilities or amenities along mm. the highway, you could have said, oh, we don't do that. Mm. We're actually bigger than that. But you turn something very simple into something quite poetic. Yeah. So do you, how do you kind of judge whether you're going to take something on or not I think if the I think you're right any I think one risk is as architects you can always see how something could be better so it's very hard to say no because you always think you could make a difference um, so that's one dilemma it's probably a nice dilemma to have but I think if you feel that you and the client are matched in an understanding about the potential of a project for for a good change then that's a really good starting point for us and is probably the most important thing is that there is an alignment with the values of the client and what they're wanting to do with the project. It's fair to say sometimes you might, 
expand or become more ambitious for the client with their project, they might think, oh, it's only this. And you think, well, actually, could we that. could do that, but we could also do more. Um, and I mean more in the sense of having more impact, not necessarily more resources. So, yeah, I think uh, I think if it's a good fit with the client, that's a big, that's mm-hmm. a big yes for us. Um, Kirsten, I could go on interviewing you all day, but I'm conscious of time. Mm. Uh, You have made a huge difference to the industry. I mean, enormous, Uh, not just in the awards, I think Mm. in the generosity in talking about architecture and making it accessible. Mm, And I think uh, that's quite rare in the industry. (laughs) And look, good luck with the book and with all the projects. And, you know, I'm sure I'll be seeing a lot more. (laughs) And... um, the book, if you're interested, is called Kirsten Thompson, Architects Encompassing People and Place, uh, Thames and Hudson, Leon Van Schaik, and um, definitely worth getting. So, Thank um, you. Thanks for Thanks so time. much for being on the program. Great. It's a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talkingdesign underscore.